0: You know, it's interesting churches can be known for a lot of different things You know, they can be known for their architecture and I've got a few pictures of architectures of incredible churches So here's a couple of pictures. I mean, how would you like to go to that church? That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Look at that one. That's pretty cool See they're all different They're from different periods of time. They have different architecture That one's kind of hard to get to in the winter Actually, going up's not so bad, it's going down. It's, you know, if you don't get down the hill right, things aren't going to be right for the rest of the week. So some churches just have this this incredible architecture. I mean, you go there, you go, whoa, this is crazy, you know? Some churches are known for their histor- history, their historical value. So here's a couple of, this is a very old church. Um, obviously, it doesn't have a roof and stuff, but um, these are just... Incredibly old churches, or churches with a real history, Um, come to the last one, and obviously for our Catholic brothers and sisters and friends, they they would uh, basically say that's a pretty sacred place, St. Peter's. But the point I want you to see is this. and, And, you know, there are other churches that are known for other things. Some are known for hate. Westboro Baptist Church. They go around, they pick it, and they, they yell. Just, I went on their website because I said, well, maybe I should throw a couple things on their website. I, I couldn't put stuff on there. It was so vulgar. And I was thinking, how is it that you're a church and you're known for hatred? I mean, just I don't get that. It just, it just doesn't... Uh, it just. And I think there's only like 12 people in the church. And they're all related to each other. So, you know, I mean, it's like, wow, it's just... If you are, like, faithful to Westboro and I've just offended you, I'm sorry. You know, I mean, frankly, you shouldn't be offended. You've got to get thicker skin than that, I mean, from what you're throwing out. Or some churches are known for their size. The, you, do, you do a full gospel church in Korea, 253,000 people. Now, obviously, they don't meet in one building. They meet all over in, in cells, but they're part of the same church. You know, the largest church in America... Uh, roughly, it was uh, Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas, and the figure that I had was twenty five thousand and sixty people. And I thought, man, they really must count because it wasn't like, well, we're around twenty five hundred or something. It's twenty five thousand and sixty. You know, I'm wondering if there's sixty one. You know, if they missed somebody, but I don't know. You know, but um, there's a lot of things that a church can be known for. But when, it, when you really boil it down, what should a church do? I mean, a church can be known for its pancake suppers or its soup kitchen or its clothing or, you know, that they give out to the poor, the, the I don't know, the... the They can be known for a a, a ton of things. But what should a church do? Because some of you, maybe this is your first time to Hope Church, and you're saying, hey, we're new here, we're looking around, we're kind of looking for a church, we're not sure if you're the church for us. And I would say, well, what are you looking for? And most of the time they say, well, do you have a youth program? Do you have this? Do you have this? Good question to ask. But frankly, you ought to ask, the one question you ought to ask is what we're going to talk about this weekend. And it's what Jesus says the church should be doing. And I want to read you that passage. And it's one of those passages that if you have a a hard copy of the Bible, you ought to underline, you ought to highlight. If you have a... uh, See, Stuart Briscoe pulled his phone out last week. I'll pull mine out. And you know what I think he did last week? Don't know this for a fact, but I think... Because we went to the service, the 930 service at the UD campus that we came here for the 11. But during the 930 service, um, Jill's phone began to ring. So we think he may have accidentally called her. <laughs> so he—it's like he said, "How come older people like you who don't know how to use this get to get it and get to get one of these, but 20-year-olds who don't can't afford it, know how to use it, don't get one?" I, I don't know that. But you, if you have one of these, highlight these this passage or at least verses 18 and 19 because they're incredible. And 20. Let me read you the passage. This is Matthew chapter 28. I want to start at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teach each these new disciples to obey the commands i've given you and and be sure of this i'm with you always even to the end of the age so jesus says a couple of things in this passage. number one he says first that we are called if we're one of his followers we're called to join him in his mission that if you belong to jesus you you've just signed up not only to follow jesus but to become part of a mission jesus told his disciples you are on a mission you're not just hanging out you're on a mission for me and with me and you know, here's, here's what I've noticed with people who are believers. They say, Well, I feel like I just don't know a lot. I haven't been a Christian for very long, or I've made some mistakes. You know, I failed. I've, you know, and, and it's almost like they're not on mission, but they say, Well, like, I'm not good enough to be on mission. I, I don't have my life together. I, I don't, I, there's things I need to fix before I can get on mission with Jesus. And I, and I read. You know, I read the passage to you. You may have missed it because I wanted you to. I read it quickly. It says, Then he called the eleven disciples from Galilee going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But then it says, Now he's talking about the eleven. But some of them doubted. Some of them still doubted. It's like, here's, here's my point. You know, you can opt yourself out of the mission. You can say, well, I haven't arrived. I still have doubts. I still have problems. I, have, I, I haven't been, a, you know, and Jesus says, you know what? You may opt out, but you know what? I don't discount you. I don't throw you out. If you belong to me, if you're one of my disciples, you got a mission. And you're never going to get to that place where you're going to be perfect. Never. And I don't want perfect people, anyways, because there are none. So let's just take the people who are imperfect. And and Jesus is calling us all to this mission. Now, the question is, when did this mission begin? It didn't begin in Acts chapter 2, which you're going to look at next weekend, or in uh, Matthew 28. It really began way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where there's a promise. That, it, that somehow or another there's this cosmic spiritual battle that is kind of started in the garden, and it's going to end in the book of Revelation. And basically it says the victory was won on the cross. That That's essentially what 3.15 is saying. But it goes on, it talks about uh, uh, Abraham, God makes a promise to Abraham, and you'll be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And, and so there's this, this, this thread going through the Old Testament. We've picked up that thread and we pointed it out, said, look at this, look at this, look at this, all the way through the Scripture. And it's always there. But let me give you a verse that, to me, I read this verse, and I can't, even, I can't wrap my brain around this verse. Paul's talking about uh, how God had a plan about us and for us. And, and it says this in Ephesians 1. It says, Even before he made the world, now get this, before he made the stars and the moon and the planets and the solar system and the, the, the mountains and the hills and the water and all that stuff, before he made the animals, before he made us, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. What he's saying here is that God chose us before we, were even, we even existed. He loved us and he chose us. I, yeah, I, I don't get that. I don't know how that works. But see, the point is, I want you to see, is that God has always had a heart for lost people. We pointed this out, I think I did, when we went through the book of Jonah. When we get to the last last verse of the book of Jonah. And this is the reluctant prophet that didn't want to go. I don't want to go. And he finally goes and he says, repent. And they do. And he's mad because they repented. And, and at the, the last verse... God says this to Jonah. He says, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Not to mention all the animals. I love that phrase, not to mention all the animals. It's like God cares about every part of his creation. It, you know, because there are some people that say, well, you know, let's just, yeah, let's just use this earth. It's there for us to abuse and use. And just." And God says, you know what? I care about the people. You know what? I care about the animals too. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? You see, God has always had this heart, this missional heart, this this heart to say, you know, I care about people who are far from me. I'll never stop that. So that's the first thing, that that if you're a disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're on a mission. Whether you know it or not, you're on a mission. Number two, he's given us really pretty specific directions to follow. He says your job as a follower of him is to make disciples. Now it's one Greek word, but it just means it's. We, we translate it: make disciples. That's our job to make disciples. Now, I really want to impress you with my uh, Greek skills because I took you know four or five years of Greek, and frankly, sometimes I feel like I, I I haven't used it very much to to amaze you. So I want to do that right now, and it won't be very amazing. But um, if you know anything about English. Uh, when you read this verse, go. Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them, and all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, teaching them to the, teach obey all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always till the end of the age. Now he says that, so you say that, okay, look at that. The main verb in that sentence is to make disciples. And, and basically, go, baptize, and teach are partisans. And they basically just tell how you're going to make disciples. How are you going to make disciples? We're going to go and make disciples. How are you going to make disciples? You're going to baptize. How are you going to make disciples? You're going to teach. So the idea there is you're going to, you're, you're to make disciples. And I just want to tell you that if you're looking for a church and you're trying to decide whether you should attend a church, a local church, you ought to ask, what's their opinion about making disciples? You know, Because that's what Jesus is telling us. Now, during the last 200 years or so, there's, there was an incredible, you know, 30 years ago, we used to sing songs about going, 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 going. And everybody was going. I mean, we, we talked about Ed and I, Judson, and we talked about David Livingston and Jim Elliott, and they all wrote, you know, there was all these audible, I mean, it was written after their lives. They were basically dead. But these people, you know, we talk about going to Papua New Guinea and Peace Child. And all these books were written. And we would read these books and we'd be inspired. And a lot of young people back then, you know, in the 40s and the 50s basically said, we're going to go. We're going. We're going to Africa. We're going to South America. We're going to Papua New Guinea. We're going to go. and We're going to take the word of God to people who have never heard it before. As you know, there's 5,000 languages roughly in the world today, and probably half or so have a portion of the Word of God in their own language. The other half doesn't. But the, the point I want you to see is this. There was a time period where the, the emphasis of Matthew 28 was going, going. You have to go. And you know what? Uh, essentially, that has stopped. You know, Stuart Briscoe, we, we got to go out to uh, dinner with him, uh, he and Jill, and he was saying at that point, he says, you know, it, our world has changed. Our world has changed because it used to be that it took months, it took weeks to get to these, these end-of-the-world locations to take the gospel. It took a long time to get there. But he said today you could go to O'Hare Airport in Chicago and you can virtually get to any part of the world in 24 hours. Now here's the problem. We have more access to the uttermost parts of the world than we have ever had but we don't have people who are putting their hands up and saying i'm going to go and i'm going to take my rest of my life and i'm going to reach these people we don't have that anymore we don't have that kind of commitment any anymore we have couples and people and singles that want to go and do that but we don't have it like we used to. We, you know, so, so we, you know, I mean, the bottom line, it, it, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, and I'm not trying, I'm just saying that our world has changed, that very few people, you know, just say, I'm going to go to this part of the world, and I'm going to dedicate, because it does, it takes almost dedicating your whole life to make a difference. Because you have to learn the language, you have to learn the culture, you have to, you know, there's just so much to be done. But that was the emphasis. And now the emphasis. And see, I think what Jesus is saying in this idea of making disciples and going, he's saying, yes, some of you are going to have to step up, raise your hand, and say, I'm going to go. I'm going to dedicate my life to reaching these people. But the rest of us basically are called to go. We can't just sit back and wait. We have to go. We have to take the gospel and bring it to our sphere of influence, to our friends, our family, our neighbors, and to help them become disciples of Jesus Christ. So we all, in a sense, go. Some of us have to really go and dedicate ourselves. So essentially that's what he's saying here is that you're not going to do this by staying. You've got to go. And the gospel has to be a part of our lives and we have to model it and We have to do that. But the second thing he says is as you make disciples by going, but you make disciples as you baptize. Now baptism in that day is different than the way we treat it today. Today it's it's like optional, like, well, do I want to be baptized or not? Should I or shouldn't I? I was baptized as a baby. That should cover it, you know we, 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 So we had that debate In that day, baptism was an initiation rite When you trusted Christ When you became one of his disciples The first thing you would do is you were baptized It was an outward sign That you had become part of the local church And so, th- this was You know, your faith and baptism Were tied together I mean, they were like almost welded together It's not true in our American culture I mean, you don't have to raise your hand But as a follower of Jesus Christ, have you ever been baptized? Now, I was baptized as a baby. I don't remember anything about it. Frankly, I don't remember which of my relatives were there with me, standing up for me. But the bottom line is this. I was baptized again when I was 20. I remember that day. It was my faith. It was my saying, I am a follower of Jesus. I'm one of his disciples. And I don't, get it. I don't have it all figured out, but I know this. My faith is... is, is Is being publicly displayed right now have you ever done that because that's that's what it means to baptize it means that you're becoming part of a local assembly that's why baptism really is is a church related thing it needs to you you know you shouldn't go to a beach somewhere and just find one or two people and say hey i'm going to be baptized you know this is a community event so make sure there's Christians there and they're part of the body and you have a connection with the body because that's what it's called to be. Baptism is tied to the body of Christ. And then number three, teach. We're to make disciples because we teach. And Jesus said, it's interesting, he says, to, I want you to, to um, teach them to obey all that I've commanded. And you go, man, that's going to take a long time. There's a lot that he commanded and there's a lot to do. And... Um, you, you think about it, you say, well, um, here's some of the things that Jesus commanded. Now, of course, I didn't pick the easy ones. picked the hard ones. So let me read a few. Luke chapter 14, he says, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. By the way, the NLT softens that. It says you need to hate everyone. In comparison, everyone else, well, you know, the literal little translation says, no, you just need to hate. Now, obviously we don't need to hate. Now, here I am softening it. But the point is, Jesus is like, boom. You, you cannot have other priorities. You cannot have other hobbies. I am not fitting into your life. I am your life. And unless you get that, you don't get me. He says, you have to hate everyone by comparison. Your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise you cannot be my disciple. And if you don't carry a cross and follow your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And that's just boom. It's like, you know, what kind of commitment are you looking for? Are you looking for like a three-month or, you know, three-year commitment? No, I'm looking for a life commitment and I need everything you have. Time, talent, treasure, I want it all. Wife, get rid of your wife. Get rid of your, you know, don't get rid of your wife. You understand what I'm saying. My point is, he is a, this is an all-out commitment. Let me give you another one. You've heard it, uh, the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. Now, that's where the rubber meet, meets the road. I mean, frankly, we can, we can uh, talk about a lot of things. But a lot of things that Jesus said are pretty, pretty, pretty uh, day-to-day life. Don't hate your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Hate your enemy. I mean, don't hate your enemy. Love your enemy. Now, let's boil it down because, you know, there's, this is where you get into the golf swing thing and it's like, okay, don't do this, don't do this. And Jesus kind of boils it all down. Matthew 22, verse 35, he says this. One of them, an expert in the law, tried to trap Jesus in a question. And he said, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. And he says, this is the first and greatest command. Now, we know what this is because we just talked about that. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to throw everything else away and make me the center, the priority of your life. And everything else has to revolve around that. Here he's saying, love God with all your heart, soul, and love God with everything you have. Everything. And that's the greatest command. And the second one, he says, is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the entire law and the demands of the prophets are based upon these two commands. So you ought to have these underlined in your Bible. Both of these. It just boils down. And what Jesus is saying is if you love God with all that you have and you love your neighbor as yourself, you're pretty much going to keep the law. You're pretty much going to go down the right path. Now, we call this the great commands. The two great commands, love God and love your neighbor. And then what we're talking about today is the great mission. So he's given us two commands, two great commands, love God, love your neighbor. And one great mission, make disciples. So he says, of all nations. So it's not a matter that we just say, well, we'll take it to these people and these people and these people, to all nations. And that's, why, that's what drove the missionaries of the turn of the century through probably the 60s. Where they just said we're going to go to these far off nations because the gospel has to go to all the world. You read the book of Acts and they didn't really get that. I don't. You, you look back. Acts one eight says uh, he says I want you to go to Jerusalem, Samaria, and, and to Judea and to the uttermost parts of the world. But it took a while for them to figure out the gospel is to go to all people, all nations, all tongues. So that's the mission. Pretty clear. Make disciples. Well, he gives us a promise and he says... Or he actually tells us, gives us something more than a promise. We can rely on his power. He promises, church, that when we join him and, uh, on his mission, that he will bring us his power and authority to do them. So what, what, this is really important because Jesus never tells you, I need you to do this, I want you to do this, you must do this, without saying... I will help you. I will empower you. I'll give you the desire. I'll give you the ability to do it. And what he says here, you got a great mission and you're never going to be able to do this on your own. This is not something you can do on your own. It's only when you get my power and authority will you be able to accomplish this. And it's a direct fulfillment of the prophecy of the book of Daniel that said that this Messiah would come and he would do exactly what Jesus is doing here. And let me read you that verse from uh, Daniel chapter 7. And to him, and I believe this is talking about the Messiah or Jesus, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, all nations of men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And Jesus is essentially saying, I'm living in that kingdom right now and I have the the authority and the power and I grant it to you. And in other words, I'm sending you on this mission, but I'm not sending you powerless or without authority. I'm going to give you the authority and the power that you need. You see, Jesus isn't merely looking down from heaven. Rather, he's now in a position to exercise power in this world and in history. He is spreading his kingdom and authority in the world through the ministry of his church Using us Okay, that's what he's doing now as his followers we, we need to understand that we have the Lord's permission power and all of heaven's resources to bring the Good news to the world now without his power and authority We would very quickly become discouraged and distraught and just feel like throwing our hands up like we're you know And there have been days Really and and i'll be honest with you and I, I said last night if you ever sit down with a salesman and they give you a pitch for 10 or 15 minutes and then they stop and they look at you and they say, can I be honest with you? You probably shouldn't buy anything from them. <laughs> but, but, you know, I'll be honest with you at this point. I wasn't up to this point. No, I have been. But the point is, there are days where I wonder if the church is getting anywhere whether we're really making a difference for his kingdom. And you know, in in those days that I go to this verse where Jesus says, don't worry about the success or don't worry when it looks bleak. Don't worry when you don't feel like you're making progress because I'm giving you the authority and the power. It will be accomplished. I am going to do it. And the great news is this. Well, I'll talk more about that. But the point is, you have the power and the authority. You have his power and authority. And I think sometimes the reason we have failures is because we try to go in our power and our authority. And there's a big difference. It looks very different. And I want you to know that the only way that anything that we do as a church community that will last in this greater Dubuque and surrounding area community is one that is, has the authority and the power of Jesus behind it. And I want you to know that the leadership of Hope Church, the elders and the staff and the, the, the key leaders in this church, are desperate in seeking the power and authority of God so that we can accomplish his mission without his power and authority we know we are dead in the water it's a spiritual battle that we're going to against right now so 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 understand this that he doesn't just say okay go on this mission he says but I'm going to go with you and I'm going to give you the authority and the power to accomplish what you need to do you're not going to be alone here's the last thing and this is this is just the encouragement Look for Him. Look for Him. You know, in Matthew 28, uh, the last thing Jesus says, the old King James says, puts it this way, it says, and lo, I am with you always, or behold, (laughs) I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And uh, we, we usually take that and we say, okay... Uh, No matter how hard it is and no matter how bad my life gets, I need to know that as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, he's always with me. And that's absolutely true. But that's not what this verse is saying. Again, in in our English language, we use you for singular or plural. And our friends to the south have a phrase they use for plural you. You all. They, they say, not you, personal, singular, you all. And that's what they're using in Matthew chapter 28 here. He, Jesus is saying, and lo, I will be with you all. He's talking about his church. He's not talking in this passage about individuals. He's saying, as you as a church, as you as a local community, go out and take my gospel to make disciples and I empower you, I will be with you. And Scripture says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there. So he's talking about community. And I just want to say to you, are you connected to a community of believers? Because if you're not... You know, one of my boys is getting married in um, a week from Saturday. And, you know, when you go to a wedding... You don't walk up to the groom. You say, "You know what? You are a handsome guy, but this dog that you're marrying here—you know—I mean, really, what, what were you thinking? You you, would, you don't insult the bride." And you know what? What I found is, I found people who say, "I'm a Christian, but I don't like the church. It's ugly. It's—it's it's a dog. it whoop woof." You know, it's just like. <laughs> It's bad, you know, it's just... And and I'm just saying, you just walked up to Jesus Christ who gave His life for the church. And you've just insulted the bride. I understand churches can beat you up and can hurt you. Frankly, as a pastor, we know that more than anyone else. But I'll tell you this. It is His bride And He is going to change this community through this local church and other local churches that are faithful to the calling that He's given to His bride. You could be out there as a Lone Ranger, as an individual, and I just want to say to you, you can be a Lone Ranger all you want and you can say, oh, I don't like this church and they do this and they do that. Yeah, every church has got its problems. I get it. I'm here so it's absolutely got problems. All right. But the point is, He desires to use this bride to change this community. So i just saying, if you don't like this bride, go find another bride. But find a bride, connect to the bride, and be used of God for his glory. The good news is, Jesus says, when you go after the mission of making disciples... And you understand that you're called to do this because you're one of my followers and you understand what the mission is to make disciples And you understand that I will empower you and give you the authority and the power to do this And you understand that no matter what happens the gates of hell will not prevail in fact I think that means not defensive but offensive that they can't stop the gospel from knocking over the gates so that we make a difference for his kingdom. And, 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 and he makes this promise. He says, and as you go, I will be with you. And even to the extent that when you get to the end of the world, I'll be there. He's the happy ending that we all want. You know, I, I don't like going to movies where there's no happy ending. Have you, have you done that? When you go into a movie and everybody's bad and, and mean and, and and poopy. just Just... <laughs> They're just not very nice. And and you walk out and you say, nobody was good in that movie and there was no good ending and I just feel depressed. I just feel like going and kicking something. I like the movies where I walk out and there's a happy ending. And what Jesus is saying is, this life is hard. There's ups and downs. You'll get discouraged. But I want to tell you something. When you get to the end of the world, I'll be there. And it's a happy ending. Spoiler alert. Revelation tells the spoiler alert. There's a happy ending and I'll be there with you at the end of the world. That's the promise for his church, for those that join him on the mission. That we have no fear, no matter how hard, how dark, how daunting, because we know that he's going to bring that happy ending you know so as we join him on the mission as we move out to a violent world as agents of peace as we move into a broken world as agents of reconciliation as we move into a needy world as servants of the poor he says to us i will be with you and when we get to the end of the world i'll be there too and we're going to have that happy ending that we've talked about that the book describes so let me ask you as we close What's a church to do? Should we go build a building way up on a mountain somewhere? Should we say, well, we want to have a history here. You know, none of those things are wrong. I mean, get my point. I'm not, except for the hate church. I think that's absolutely just so wrong. It's not in begin, I mean, when, when you say wrong idea of a church in the dictionary, their picture is there. But that being said, what is a church to do? Make disciples. And then when we get done making disciples, make some more. Help people to know who Jesus is. Invite them into a relationship with Jesus. And then help them, once they're in that relationship, to grow in their relationship with Christ. So they can go out and they can make disciples. That's what we're called to do. So my question is to you, are you one of his disciples? Have you crossed that line? Have you asked Jesus to come into your life? Have You know, Jesus gave his life for you on the cross. He says, I love you this much that I came off out of heaven, off of my throne, down to earth. I climbed up on a cross to take your place, to take your sin, to give my life for you because you are absolutely helpless and hopeless. You're, you, you can't save yourself. You are drowning in your own sin, and I'm the only one that can pay the price. And he paid the price, and he says, now you have a choice to say, do I want it? Have you crossed that line and said, Jesus, I no longer just believe in you as a person, as a historical figure, but now I want to follow you. I give, want to give my... You gave your life to me. I want to give my life to you. And, and as you do that, you become his disciples and say, I want to join you on a mission. I want to join you on this journey. Have you done that? Well, how will you know if you did? <laughs> Simply this. Who are you following? The last week, the last month, the last year, who have you been following? What have you been following? You'll know it. You'll know it. It's very apparent who you're following. Amen? Let's stand. Father, thank you for this clear mission that you've given to us. And I pray that I haven't muddied it up but that we as a church would be focused on our mission to make disciples and to help people come into relationship with you so that their lives, their families, their worlds can be changed forever. They can experience not only your presence and power and authority, but your church and the happy ending. Father, thank you for giving us this sacred mission. And I pray, Father, you would raise up young people and middle-aged people and older people that say, sign me up. Get me in the game. What do you want me to do? Father, thank you that you give us the power and authority that we need, the ability, the desire. And most of all, Thank you that when we get to the end of the world, you will be there. Praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.